Welcome to The Quill and the Quantum, the podcast where we explore the intersection of artificial intelligence and the art of writing. I'm your host, Kathy Norris, and in each episode, we'll talk to those authors and other creatives who use or refuse to use AI in their writing process. Today's guest is teacher, writer, and martial artist, Karen Spurn. Karen has a, math, has a PhD, excuse me, in English from the University of Michigan and has taught community college classes, English classes for the past 20 years. Karen, welcome to the program. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Now, Karen, I know I'm supposed to talk with you about AI, but I was captivated, captivated in your bio when I read that you were a martial artist. So which martial arts do you practice and how did you get into it? Uh, um, well, I practice a number of martial arts. Um, the longest one is kickboxing. I do several types of kickboxing and I teach kickboxing in Oakland. I run a gym and a, it's a nonprofit that also teaches self-defense. And I think a lot of my approach to writing instruction also um, you know, was developed because I was, I was, um, I've been a community college instructor and a martial arts practitioner for the same amount of time. So I feel like those, the, I, my, my thoughts about writing were really shaped by my own experiences training too. Oh, I love the idea that the, that the intellectual exercise of writing is informed by this physical activity. Uh, there, there, there seem to be some core truths that would flow from one activity to the other. Um, that my little sparks are just going off in my brain thinking about how wonderful um, these connections must be. Is that what you find? Uh, and particularly what I found, and this just really um, influences my approach to teaching, is that the way that we teach writing um, is, and a lot of things, but, you know, writing, I teach in a community college. So the way that we teach is very, you know, uh, like the people always say the problem with teaching is you're both the coach and the judge. Oh. And, you know, so, so in terms of, you know, I think of ways that we teach writing that we would never teach like a physical skill that way. Like we would never say, oh, you know, you've disappointed me because you didn't do that properly or, you know, things that people write on papers, you know, all the time, we just meet people where they are and try to help them. And you want your 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 you know your student in a martial arts context to know that you're their defender and you're their advocate and you know we don't always approach uh, education you know teaching in our education system that way so that's definitely oh. influenced my um, teaching style. Oh, of course not. I'm I'm just aghast at the idea of writing of someone writing. It sounds like a mini agent in training, you know, so you can write rejection letters. To, they're they're already ready to write rejection letters to authors submitting. You know, would be authors submitting their work. Uh, yeah. how, I mean, people have done a lot better. Yeah. No, people have done a lot better. But but when I started um, teaching writing, I, I there were teachers that would you know, you know, students would tell me like, oh, the teacher wrote like I'm you know I was really disappointed in your efforts here. I'm like, how could, what, like, this isn't about you. <laughs> so um, that's a uh, nerve. Yeah. And people, I mean, and people write, and you probably see it. I mean, the paper's marked with, you know, the red pen, papers, yes. with, um, you know, awkward or like, my favorite is like question mark, question mark, question mark <laughs> in the margin. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's just a lot of really negative um, associations that students have, you know, with, with, with getting feedback on their writing because of these practices. So. Oh, it, it's true. I belong to a writing group and we, we meet every Saturday, but we give each other permission um, to be it, be very blunt and honest. And, and, and we've been in this group. This group has been in existence for more than five, five years. So the level of trust has definitely been established. So when I hear them critique my work, 
I do my very, very best not to take it personally. I'm not going to say that I always succeed, but I do my level best not to take it personally. But that's because we have a relationship. Right. I, you know, I can't, I can't imagine. Yeah. Well, um, I was introduced to your work, Karen, when I read your review of Deborah Miranda's new book, um, Title One in His Title The Eye in History, Bad Indian and the Future of Academic Writing. And the question has been posed, you know, people are wondering if Chat GPT will kill the student essay. And I'm going to read um, your response, your quote, because I, I love this. You mm -hmm. go, I for one, oh, the question, um, will Chat BT Chat GPT kill the student essay? Karen's response, I for one hope it does. In fact, like many other professors, I've long fantasized about the demise of this perfunctory and soulless genre, one that seemingly invites artificial intelligence as its rightful author. As educational technology expert Brenda Clark Gray insightfully puts it, quote, we've trained our learners to write like robots, and shockingly, robots are also good at writing like robots. Love this. Well, Love that's this. And shout out to Brenna Clark Gray. That essay is called Breaking What Is All was well, a blog post called Breaking What Was Already Broken AI and Writing Assignments. It's quite amazing. And I first encountered that quote through a tweet. And then we had to search down where that tweet came from because it's really so incredible. That final part about we taught our students to write like robots, and robots are also good like write at writing like robots. Who um, knew, Karen? Yeah. Who knew that robots, robots would be good at writing like robots? Yeah. When did you first? Uh, I, I, because you've been you've been in the trenches for for a significant period of time. When do you remember when you first noticed um, the impact of AI on student writing? Yeah, I think. Mo well, um, I should say, I guess the thing that was happening before, probably around starting maybe 2018, 2017, was that students were having these um, essay bots write their essays. And the essay bots, yeah, this was like, it was a site called essay bot and it would, um, was the main one. And, and what that site did was it pulled, um, uh, paragraphs on your topic, um, from the internet and then changed like every third word so that you're what, so to a synonym, so it couldn't be caught by a plagiarism checker, but the, um, the, the, you'd have this very garbled sounding thing because like, for example, a good example I thought of is there was a place where, um, they had written, uh, lawyer. And I couldn't figure out why they'd written lawyer. It was a strange word in the, in the sentence. And it turned out it had originally been advocate. So since an advocate can be, you know, a synonym for an ad one sentence, so it would choose like context inappropriate synonyms frequently. Cause it was just, and it was horrifying. And then you would be as a, as an ethical teacher, you'd be ethic, you know, trying to find the original source material. I could sometimes find it because I was teaching on un unusual texts. So it was easier to find the original thing, but it would take me still like two hours to, to find it. If you're writing on a more open topic, like your opinion on, you know, um, on tax policy or something like that, it would be almost impossible because they would take different sentences from all different things and then change every third word. So, um, so, and then more recently, the chat GPT, I think people were more worried about it before I started seeing it. So there was a big, you know, kind of um, kerfuffle about it, you know, in the mm -hmm. academic circles. And then I started seeing a lot of it um, about a year ago. Um, where, and, and the funny thing about it is in an academic context is the way you would spot it. Well, part of it is, and I, I brought an example, but it uses this very, um, very like, I call it like um, uh, kind of, what's the word for this? Very uh, inflated diction. It's, not, okay. it's not very fake. It sounds like what you would, you, you know, like when people used to say, 
uh, in my high school, they'd say, oh, an English class is just about learning to BS. That's what it sounds like. The way people write, okay. it's very inflated, very, very highfalutin. Yeah, yeah. Highfalutin. And then the other thing about it is, is that it'll make up quotes or events. So if, so I would give these responses that were just like journal responses, because now we're teaching online so much. So, um, so I'd have these journal responses to books and they'd be like, not what happened in the book. And I'd be like, that author would never say that that's not accurate. And I, luckily I could, so it was easy because I didn't have to then try to find the original source. I just say you get zero because this, this quote, like this isn't about the book. So, um, so that's when I started to see it, um, you know, see the use of it about a year ago. You know, I'm really curious. You said something that I didn't realize that a teacher, if you suspect, suspect plagiarism, then there's a requirement that you identify the source or or the it's ethical not... thing to do is to identify the source. Exactly. Oh. It's, I mean, because we don't like to accuse our students of plagiarism, you know, and um, we, we want to think the best of them. They want to, you know, give them, you know, the full, you know, grace and benefit of the doubt. And so if, um, you know, it, it used to be that you know, someone would plagiarize from the internet and then you would Google and you could usually find it because again, they don't write though, you know, and, and a lot of the time the students who are probably there's students who are doing this really well, who were not catching. Sure. I, I'm, I'm sure there's students who are plagiarizing well. And my thought on it is, well, I'm, you know, I don't not paid enough to be sleuthing down all of that. And also the, the, they clearly must, they have the skills they need if they're able to do it. You know, if they're able to do it, they have the skills they need. That's not my, you know, but I don't, I, what, what you find is these people who who are really struggling. Their students who are really struggling, and they can't even tell that what they've turned in is not indicative of their own writing. So they used to just take things from the internet, and you'd say, "Well, you certainly, you know, the gadfly is not a word I would think you'd be using, you know, or something like that." And then you Google the thing, and it comes right up. So you don't want to accuse someone without documentation. You know, that's just you know for your own. You you can because um, and now we've had two more. Um, you know. Um, well, I've had a paper where I said, you know, I, th I think this was written by ChatGPT, and the student said, no, it wasn't. And I said, well, I, I think so because the quotes are all made up. These quotes aren't in the book. And she said, no, no, they're from somewhere. They'll come up with all kinds of reasons. <laughs> so, you know, you want to have the the documentation, but you, you know, you with ChatGPT, there's there's not much you can do. But just say I don't, you know. So you have to. We've had to change our policies quite a bit. Oh, that that, that sounds. The idea of spending that much time tracking down. The original source multiplied by the number of students that you must read you know the essays that you must read is is mind-boggling well one thing I, I used to tell them in that chat chat um in that essay bot days is i used to say in, like in my syllabus in my first day i'd say don't ever do this because when you use this your teacher will know you plagiarized it but your teacher doesn't want to accuse you of plagiarism without evidence so your teacher will spend hours trying to find the source, at which point they're going to be kind of infuriated. I said, so I, I think I don't want that you do this. But like, that's a bad idea. Like, don't, don't use this. Just, you know, get, take the zero or just ask for help, you know, but, you know, ideally ask for help. So, I'm giving you fair warning, you yeah, know, just yeah. fess up right, right now, or don't yeah. do it at all. And yeah. everyone will be happier. I thought I heard you mention that you had bought an example of something that you wanted to discuss. Please do. Yeah, I did. I bought an example, of the chat GPT paper, and I, I also would, really like to talk about better approaches to writing that don't um, encourage students to, to, to write like robots. But I, just want, I thought it's funny to see an example. This is a, a paper a student turned in. They're writing about an, they must have given the, um, the chat GPT like a, a explanation of the topic of this essay that they were writing about because the, it knows, like sometimes it just really makes up what the, this, it, the, this was a, 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 an essay called, or an article called Fit that's from a, a beautiful anthology called Somewhere We Are Human about um, undocumented immigration. And this is about um, 
so this is this is what the ChatGPT wrote. This is a student who um, you know struggles with writing generally, and this is the paper. In conclusion, fit is more than just an essay. It's a clarion call for introspection, empathy, and multifaceted nature of identity and the continuous evolution of the self. Through her words, readers are reminded of the strength that can be forged in adversity and the beauty in finding one unique one's unique place in the world. And it just goes on like this. You're like, did, like you didn't write this. Like, please don't write like that. <laughs> like, you know, like, like so it, it really is, you know, and, and I would tell them, you know, a, a, a chat, you know, an artificial intelligence is, you know, generative AI, it's, it's, a, it's a predictive text. So it's writing what it thinks teachers want to hear. And so it comes out in this very, like, teachers pompous. want to hear tone, pompous. Pompous was what I was for earlier. Yeah, very pompous. Oh yeah. my goodness! Yeah, you you read it. I, now that I've been stung or um, by by mistakenly thinking a piece was written by a human being, I now that I'm paying more attention, I do see more red flags. And I think one of the th one of the real keys for me has been if I'm emailing with someone, and I and then I'm looking at their work. And and the, the 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 levels of English are very very different. You know, yeah. it's one thing when you're writing to me in the email in your natural language, and then I see something that you're that you said that you wrote, and it's it's and, and that's why I always ask the question. Oh, and by the way, just for you know, just for clarification, did you actually write this piece or 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 not? And and then we stumble into that whole um, area of whether people are going to tell you that they used generative AI. Mm -hmm. uh, some people will and some people won't. Yeah. It's, That's it's, incredible that people are using it to write published pieces. I guess I I, I knew it's being used to write articles that are sort of um, content-y, you know, like mm -hmm. things where somebody's just, you know, like, uh, you know, like filler articles that you see on, you know, that that on uh, sites that just have to put out a lot of content. But the idea that there's authors, you know, representing their writing and they had they had AI write it is 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 uh, that's interesting. Oh, it, it gets even more interesting. I had I had been working with an agent and was looking at a contract for nonfiction, a nonfiction novel I'd written, and for the first time I saw a clause regarding artificial intelligence where the agent stated very clearly that if this work had been the result of AI, then it would limit um, their ability to represent it. Mm -hmm. And that floored me because AI is such a broad term. Did, did, yeah. did they really mean generative AI? Did they really mean, or did they really mean Grammarly when I was check, using AI to check the spelling right. of words? Yep. It, it opened up a whole new, new gray area. Yep. Oh, that's a, well, so that, that actually, um, you know, um, brings up this idea of, of, you know, what we're trying to teach them when you were talking about people, how they were writing emails to you, and then it's different than the pieces that they were writing. Mm -hmm. So um, the, uh, the, the really nice thing about, or maybe the, the silver lining about this, mm -hmm. and, and I want to clarify too, that in terms of AI, I don't feel like, you know, there's, there's appropriate uses for it. Like you said, like, you know, Definitely. students use Grammarly, um, you know, I've seen people use it, you know, I think a great use of it could be, you know, you did a free writing and now you want it to help you outline your paper where you're, you know, you're, it's helping you generate ideas. I don't love it for that. I've, I mean, I just don't like it that much, but I, uh -huh. I think there's ethical and probably great uses of it. Um, but I think that I, the reason I really enjoyed that um, quote and passage by um, Brenna Clark Gray is because I feel as writing instructors, and I'm a 20 year community college writing instructor, um, and, and as writing instructors, I feel it's really our, um, 
doing. You know, it's, it's the standards that in academia that we've been putting forward. It's the type of writing instruction that we've been doing that's leading to people, the students wanting to use AI. So um, I feel like, and, and right at the same time that this has been, um, you know, becoming um, such a focal point in discussions of education and, um, and instruction, a lot of my colleagues and I've been working on issues of, and had been kind of promoting, I'm working with colleagues who are promoting this idea of linguistic justice. I work particularly yes. with, yeah. And, um, and this yes. is a term that's coined by amazing professor, April Baker Bell um, at Michigan State University. And it link, originally linguistic justice um, for her and her definition is, a, is an anti-racist approach to writing instruction. So mm -hmm. it comes a lot out of, um, you know, enforcement of, we call it like edited standard English, or it's like a very, um, you know, uh, privileged and white dialect of English that has been, you know, um, enforced in the schools. And as early as 1974, the four C's, which is the conference on, let me see if I get it right. I wrote down what it's called. <laughs> it's, it's the conference on college communication and composition, they, which is the, like the largest um, uh, professional organization for writing instruction in the world, I think. Okay. So the um, they in 1974 published um, they they had a, um, a resolution on students' rights to their own language, um, and that they where they affirmed that students should have the right to write in the dialect of their choice and of their upbringing, um, so that people shouldn't be enforcing um, you know a standard English or standardized English on students, and it's never taken off. You see like these um, you know uh, kind of places it pops up, but it's never. It, it was it, as early as 1974 on the radar of writing instruction, and yet it's gained, um, you know, after I think George Floyd's murder, it's gained, you know, as education has been thinking again about how we can do better for our students of color. It's been, I think, you know, um, uh, in, in um, it's, it's found its time maybe, you know, because I, I, and I think that chat GPT is actually sort of fortuitous because it's showing the problems of, you know, if we teach everyone to write in this voice that's fake for many of them, they have no investment in writing. They don't have an investment in it. And so they're perfectly willing to put out work that it, the exercise of writing for them is not about expressing something that is true to them or something that matters to them or exploring their own ideas. It's an exercise of doing a thing that a teacher wants you to do, you know, and it, oh. I think it's very alienating for a lot of students, um, you know, oh. and I think it's true for students of color. And I think it's true for white students as well that, that, you know, allowing them to, so when we've been advocating different practices to allow students to write more in their own voices and from their own perspectives. We find that um, their writing is stronger. They're not having problems with their grammar because they're writing in a way that is more natural to them. Um, they're writing really powerfully. And, you know, and if they do have problems with, you know, uh, I don't know, I just, the, the, you know, if they have problems with grammar, we now have Grammarly to fix that. You know, if it's a little comma problems or something like mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm. it's not really, you know, emphasizing so much about correctness and um, it, it's not, serving them well, and they don't need to learn to write in this robotic way anymore. They can have ChatGPT do it if they want to write, you know, they want to write like that. So we've been really pushing towards, um, and I've been, I've been pushing towards um, also because the way we used to write was very, having them write was so formulaic. It was this very formulaic academic essay. And um, they were starting to write, I noticed before the pandemic from templates, and that's what high school was teaching them. So the high school students were responding to the community college students. We were responding to what we, we were, all of us were responding to fears that we're not going to prepare them for the next level. And so we were teaching them, you know, you need to have like really good paragraph structure and, you know, really focus on your citation and really focus yes. on, and, and 
it's kind of cart before the horse. Like, so they were thought of writing as like, they'd write the topic sentences and they'd pick the paragraph topics and they hadn't even ever explored what they were trying to write about. And, and sometimes they'd get A's on essays that just were so soulless, you know, but they hit all the marks. And these were like students who cared. They weren't students who were trying to be soulless. They just like, they were like, oh, I'm a good student. I'm supposed to have topic sentences and I'm supposed to have a thesis statement and I'm supposed to have, you know, a, a main point that I've supported with quotes and um, which is all important things to have at times, but I've been moving much more and a lot of people have towards, um, you know, writing that includes, and that's one reason um, I was so moved by, um, by Deborah Miranda's book, Bad Indians is because she's writing about history, um, but she's also writing about, she's writing about, it's a memoir and a historical book. She's looking at archival work and then she's looking at her own family history. Um, she's, you know, she's taking um, uh, historical documents and making found poetry out of them to kind of emphasize you know, the, the cruelty and the language in terms of how they wrote about mission Indians in the newspaper. And then she's highlighting that through inserting her own voice into it. And I think, um, you know, things like that, that type of writing that's about something scholarly, but is also about your viewpoint is going to be, you know, a, a real antidote to the, the desire to plagiarize. It doesn't mean that students should never write things that are scholarly, but I feel they should um, be opting into or I guess I should say maybe it's major and career appropriate that mm -hmm. there's students who want to be academic writers. They're writing that way. The students who want to, you know, be, um, go get, you know, graduate degrees, they're writing that way. A lot of the students I have now, their goal is to like, um, uh, be a business major, be entrepreneur. That's really popular. And I know as myself, as a, as someone who runs a business and nonprofit, like we're writing blog posts, we're writing, um, GoFundMe giant, you know, um, proposals for, um, for, um, donations, um, we need to be able to write with heart. We need to be able to write from our perspective. We need to show what's unique about us. And I feel like those kind of writing skills are going to be just as valid in a modern um, uh, work context. You know, so it's, we're not not preparing them for the real world. We're actually like are because otherwise this fake writing, they don't take it forward with them. You know, even even without ChatGPT, they don't take it forward. If, if their writing is such a fake alienated practice, they don't own it. And they I don't think they can use it in the future. Well, I love how you have closed this circle because it, we, in the essay when there, where there's a discussion about how community colleges are hemorrhaging students, um, that they have that they have lived through COVID-19 and have a different different priorities and different perspectives that the way to address the issue of the soul soullessness of the writing is through uh, techniques that you identify such as uh, positionality statements, but the one that fascinated me was encouraging the use of first person pronouns and the inclusion of identity based perspectives oh, and a yeah. light went off in my head. I, of course, the antidote to the soulless is the soul. The more personal you're making it, the more credence you give your experience, the less that can be generated by an artificial intelligence. It was like, duh. Fantastic. Yep. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you, I'm so glad that part spoke to you. Yeah. And that's from, that's uh, some of that part comes from Patricia Hill Collins, who mm -hmm. wrote um, this book, you know, Black Feminism, Black Feminist Thought, which is from the 1990s. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, but, and, and, but it's something that we've been working with all that I, I actually, it was actually one of these things where I was like, you know, um, looking for a passage that would speak to this and was looking back at, you know, earlier texts that were important to me and found this and was like, oh yes, there, she says it. Um, <laughs> and she was talking in that piece about um, how in that book about how as an African-American woman writing in academia, and she's a sociologist, I believe, 
She's mm-hmm. um, she's in the social sciences. She was writing about how alienated she felt, where she felt that she had to write in a way that didn't reflect her community. She had to right. write in a way that was, you know, not. It felt like she was leaving, like leaving her people behind to do academic writing, and I think that's what a lot of our students feel. And you know, and and again, there. Are, I, I mean, we don't say like your viewpoint should be in everything. I mean, if you're writing, you know, a, um, a, you know, a, a report on. Um, you know, the health of African whales, you know, African whales, I would say Alaskan whales, not African mm-hmm. whales. But I don't think they, maybe they have African whales. I was thinking Alaskan I do not know. I know. If you're writing about, you know, and plant, if you're writing about, you know, biology, you may not want to put your viewpoint in there. If you lived in Alaska and you're like, I have these experiences with Alaskan whales, that might be very valid and interesting to include. So you don't need to include your, um, your viewpoint in everything that you write, but having the permission to do so and knowing that you can speak to you can speak in your own voice that you can speak you know you can make a joke you'd like to make you can use um uh you know uh expression from your native language if your you know native language is in english or if you're you know from an immigrant family and want to draw on that linguistic wealth for your expression a big one is i we've been teaching about use of i because teachers for so long said you can't use i we have Mm -hmm. a workshop called um uh can I use I in my essay that we teach um, in my school? And because um, they ask it all the time. And you're like, yeah, there's a context where it's not appropriate. You know, if you're writing, I think, I think, I think before everything, that's just not strong writing. And you can just do it and then cut it out. You know, that's a great editing thing to do. You know, too many, mm-hmm. I think, kind of distracting from your point. But if you're trying to say, you know, um, you know, my grandmother taught me this, how are you going to say that without using a personal pronouns? And why would you take that out? So we're, you know, we're, we're trying, actually, can I show you, I have a really beautiful example. Of from, course, please do. That was one example from um, a student who gave me permission to share her writing with the chat GPT when I didn't ask him because he, uh, he didn't write it. So, um, but, the, <laughs> but the, but this is a student named Jasmine who um, has given me permission to share this essay. Um, and this just is a little piece of it. She is a first generation Mexican American student. She loves writing. She like was my class last semester and it really shows she's just a joy in learning and a joy in writing. And she told me that she was actually, I looked, when I read her first essay, I looked back at her introductory letter she wrote to me that I have them write. And she said that she's not very good at writing and she hopes that I'll be patient because she's been told that her writing's not very clear. Because I looked back to see if she wants to be a writer. I was like, oh, sure. they write so well that I look at their intro and they say they love reading and they love writing. She said that she thought her writing was problematic and she hoped that I wouldn't mind. Um, this is a piece she wrote. So the the um, the topic was about intelligence and your type of intelligence because we were reading mm-hmm. about different types of intelligence. She said, um, my parents have never yelled or gotten mad when I showed them a C on a test or my report cards. Both of my parents understand when I get a low score, they would say, study more, you'll get it next time. I love that they never pressured me, but they persuaded me, pushed me into doing better. No me afecta a nosotros, te afecta a ti. It doesn't affect us, it affects you. They've also taught me that my actions have consequences. If I didn't graduate, then it was on me. This saying and many others, my parents taught me the basic things I will need in life. School, hands-on work, and talking. These are the intelligences that formed me. This piece gives me, this paragraph that gives me chills when I read it. I don't know why it's so beautifully composed. And I showed it to some some teachers recently. And I said, you know, there's some sentences in there that are oddly composed. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like this this saying and many others, comma, my parents taught me the basic things I will need in life. I'm like, mm-hmm. hey, I guess you could revise that because it's not gr- grammatically correct mm-hmm. sentence. It's a beautiful sentence, though. But it's so authentic. Yeah, I, it's so authentic. I, I, and it's I, beautifully I, composed. You know, it's a beautiful piece of writing. 
that and, and when I told her, I said, this is such an incredible piece of writing. I said, did, did you enjoy, I, did you enjoy writing it? She said, oh, I loved writing it. I loved writing it so much. I mean, she was so connected to it. She was so excited about it. Um, you know, she just, her use of Spanish and then, and then, you know, she didn't have to translate the Spanish, but she does she just naturally. She um, had, she talked a lot about like phrases her parents taught her. She taught, talked about how her mother had a formal, her parents like came from Mexico, um, you know, in difficult circumstances when they were both at the like very young adults, like 17, 18, and that the mother had um, fin done a little bit of schooling here and then hadn't been able to continue and really regretted it and loved school. And her father struggled in school and was always ashamed about his English. I um, mean, she was contrasting the two of them and saying she's so proud of both of them and no one should shame her father because he's so intelligent, but he he wasn't feeling encouraged in, in school, you know, and didn't feel like um, he felt like because his English wasn't strong that he was, it, it, he felt ashamed of it at times. It was just such an amazing analysis of what intelligence meant to her. Um, and, and she was able to write that, you know, using her own flavor, her own, you know, kind of like her, her passionate voice rather than trying yeah. to make it sound cold and remote. No, I can, I, it, it feels very warm and alive and human in a way that's hard for me to put into words. And normally I never have a problem with putting things into words, <laughs> but no, that was beautiful. And thank you for sharing it with us. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you'd want to add? I feel like you have covered all of the bases and all the questions I was going to ask. Did, did you leave anything out? Is there something you would like to add? Um, oh, I don't think so. Um, I do. I just hope that listeners will take away this idea of, you know, because I think uh, we do get asked, um, the, my, you know, my colleagues and I who advocate ideas of linguistic justice, um, you know, so often like, does this prepare students for the real world or is this dumbing down education? And I just want to really emphasize that it's none of those things. It's really about, um, in fact, very much in service of intellectualism, of uh, you know, true intellectual rigor and of skills of writing that will actually prepare you for life rather than you know, um, something that's fake rigor and fake writing. So um, we're, we're really uh, you know, so passionate, I'm so passionate about this idea of linguistic justice and, um, and this idea of, of encouraging people to use their authentic voice, um, something that I obviously care really deeply about. <laughs> so um, you know, I, hope, I hope listeners um, take that away. Well, thank you so much, Karen. And is, if, if listeners have any follow-up questions or if they want to, for example, go to your GoFundMe page for your martial arts, how, how do they get connect with you? Uh, I don't know if you've got social media or, or what's the best way? Yeah. I'm, on, I'm on Instagram as, um, and on Facebook um, under my name, um, Karen Spurn, K-A-R-I-N-S-P-I-R-N. Um, I can be reached at my um, college address, email address, which is Oh, it's goodness. You have to put it in show notes because it's, it's, um, I teach at a school called Las Positas College. And unfortunately, our emails then are like kspern at lasposetascollege.edu. So it's pretty <laughs> wonky. Um, and our, um, our um, nonprofit is called toughlove.org, T U F F L O V E.org, um, where we um, provide self defense um, for our community. Um, so, uh, so if you want to check that out too, you can do that. Well, what I will do is in the episode notes, I will. I will provide links to these these different ways of connecting with you, and we'll go from there. Thank Karen, thank you so much. This has been a real pleasure. I've enjoyed, I, you know, it's one thing to want to speak to the author. It's another thing to actually be able to speak to an author of a piece that you really like. So thank you once again for doing this. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been really fun talking to you about it, and, and I appreciate your kind words about my piece, too. Um, it's been really, really nice to talk about this with you.